0: I'm your host, Jen Ramsey. As a coach with a love for metaphysics, science, spirituality and strategies that get results, I'll help you step away from self-doubt and create a powerful new story for your life, business or career. Join me. Hey everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Your Freedom Unlimited with me Jen Ramsey and this week I am so excited to be introducing you to a very old and dear friend of mine Emily Fong and Emily's story is one that is certainly very inspirational and one that I really wanted to bring to you on the podcast. So Emily is an artist, and Emily and I met about eight years ago when she and um, a very, another very dear friend, Joe Underhill, were teaching art in Brisbane in Australia, and I was starting out on my journey in art, and uh, M was, was definitely part of that. But Em has since moved on, and she's doing some very interesting things. She's an artist exploring life and death, embodiment and emotion, and the experience of being inside this human container. She looks at the life cycles of living things, growth, mortality and change from the micro to the macro. Through drawing, painting, sculpture and writing, M seeks to highlight our similarities, not only to one another, but also to the other species that occupy our planet. Her view is that by going deep inside life, turning it inside out, that we might discover new ways of observing and reconfiguring our outside. So Emily studied Fine Art at the Queensland College of Art at Griffith University in Brisbane, and also at the Duncan of Jordanstone College of Art and Design in Dundee in Scotland. She's got a Bachelor of Design in Architecture from the Queensland University of Technology and also NSAG at Grenoble in France. And Emily is now studying something very interesting. She's doing her Masters of Science in Medical Art at the University of Dundee's Centre for Anatomy and Human Identification in Scotland, and is also the Artist in Residence at the Welcome Centre for Anti-Infectives Research in Dundee. So, Emily, we are, I'm just so pleased to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us from Scotland.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks
0: very much, Jen, for inviting me. Oh, it's just great to have you here. And, and uh, I just wanted to, yes, to share a little bit of uh, you with uh, everybody else because um, you've, you've been such an inspiration to me as an artist but also as a person in terms of your own journey to freedom and and your own inspiration for life and um, that inspiration has taken you to faraway places like Scotland and Paris and so I think there's a lot of adventures um, that I'd love to hear about for you know particularly adventures over the last few years since you've been overseas. So when there's a lot that you've done in your life but I'd love, love it if we could perhaps rewind and if you could share some of your backstory with us and, and perhaps how you came to really become an artist and to, to really find this inspiration within yourself?
1: Of course. Um, I guess one thing to note is that I, I've always been an artist and, you know, I I chose to go in the direction of architecture um, because it was one of those things where you choose, you know, the sensible path, right? You know, I didn't know any anyone who was making a living as an artist when I was young, Um And I thought, well, architecture is a very clear, cut and dry path. Um, It's a creative direction, but it's also, you know, it's very scientific. It's also, um, it's got a lot going on. I was also really interested in physics as a young person. um, And I thought, well, that's the direction I'll take. And I absolutely loved it um, and still love it. I love thinking like an architect. But I reached a point where I knew I didn't want to be one. You know, I knew that I didn't think that I could spend my whole lifetime being an architect where actually I really wanted to be an artist, and I didn't know that in so many words. Um, but I did my final year over in France, as you mentioned before, and I, during that year, there was a, a small art shop that I used to go to to get my drawing supplies for, for school, and across the road from that there was a painting studio, and it had a little sign in the window saying, um, Oil painting classes on a Wednesday night. And I thought, well, you know, I could do oil painting classes on a Wednesday night. So I'm going to go do that. And I started painting and I met this wonderful woman who ran the studio and she and I became really good pals. And so it was a Wednesday night. But then, you know, she said, I open the studios for myself on a Saturday. Do you want to come and paint with me on a Saturday? So there I was, just, you know, spending all of my brain space painting, even if I wasn't in the studio. And, uh, yeah I sort of switched modes at that point I think you know you really realize that there's only so much space in your brain to do so many things and studying in France in French architecture I was like okay already my brain had to be switched on about 150 percent all of the time and it just I just realized that I didn't have that energy to spend in that direction anymore because, you know, I discovered this new passion for painting. And, uh, yeah, that was a bit of a switch for me. And I I really at that point decided, okay, look, I'm going to keep painting, but I think I need to go home to Australia and, you know, wrap this architecture up and, you know, sign on the dotted line, but then move forward. Um, And, yeah, so that was a bit of a switching point for me um, moving back to Brisbane and making that decision that actually there's only so many years that you have in your life and how do you spend them and is it intentionally or um, or not? So, yeah.
0: Wow, I love that. I think there's, there's a lot to really just even unpack there. So did you, you started these oil painting classes and obviously architecture does have a very artistic bent to it. As a little girl, had you drawn or painted had you been drawn to art as a child
1: always always Mm. always um I was always drawing but I was always making things I um my parents gave me a a a large sticky tape dispenser for my I think it was Christmas when I was about four years old it was massive and I still have it actually Um, and a a, a huge stack of different colored reams of paper And I just thought my Santa Claus is is a genius here. So after that, I just kept making things. So I would make, um, I would make my playground. You know that I was in during the day. I'd come home and I'd construct these scenes out of paper and um and sticky tape. And so I guess yeah, exploring space and exploring um, models from a really young age has always been something that I've done. So that's art, but it's also architecture. It's spatial awareness and um yeah
0: I can see how the two and how yes that's right you're right it is because it is art and it is it is it is spatial awareness as well and how and I understand what you're saying taking the sensible path I think you're certainly not alone there but really it was incredible that you were able to well perhaps it was divine divinely led that 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 that, that those oil painting classes have to be across the road from the, store, the shop where you got your supplies for, 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 for universities. So it's just, in, you know, it was obviously meant to be. Okay, so how did it feel? Um, you'd done, the, you know, the four or five years of architecture. How did it feel? You, but you also had this great love and, just, you know, there was only so much space in your brain. How did it feel to actually, though, let that arch- all of that time go with the architecture? It
1: was a really interesting time, actually. And I think um, I'm not sure if you know the sensation of having your body so full that actually you just can't move almost. You can't make decisions. You can't think. Um, It was like somehow just letting a bit of that pressure out. It's just opening a tap wherever that tap might be and just letting a bit of flow out. So I had space in my life that's how it felt it felt like yeah. instead of being packed so tightly there was room to jiggle and room to to actually just be and to breathe and to have a bit of fun um, yeah. not like what i was doing wasn't fun it was just like just too tightly packed yeah. um too makes much on. Sense. oh completely
0: yeah. i mean and as you said you were studying you were studying architecture which is a complex degree in itself studying in another country, in another language, and then suddenly you have this love affair with, you know, this rediscovery of, of how much you actually love art. Um, it could have, I mean, I love how you've said you almost like your body felt too full. I talk often in the podcast about my experience of anxiety and feeling overwhelmed. So it sounds to me like that was a feeling of overwhelm and something you, you were able to, you were, you were prescient enough to be able to make a decision to say, okay, I need to let architecture go so I can actually open up to this new opportunity. And is that, did, did, is that how it felt? Did it feel like it was like a very graceful letting go so that you could open to the new opportunity?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I also, um, there's a certain awareness that it, it wasn't letting something go as such. Because I don't think we can we can let things like that go. Do you know what I mean? It's no. not like you do something for a certain period of time and all of a sudden if you go a different direction, then it's deleted. That That's no. just not, not how things work. They just shift in a different way. Um, so, yeah, it was just a bit of a shift.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I can see in your art, I know when we met, I can see in your art there's so much... Love of architectural form and and your perspective is just superb. So you're right. There's not there's no letting go, but it was more of a allowing in of the new, which is obviously mm-hmm. what happened with the art. So what happened then?
1: So what happened then? Well, we met. We were, uh, yeah, we met in terms of how to bring this love of art to the public. Really, that was mm-hmm. the the period of time in which we met. And I think what I had realised at that point was. So much within architectural training and thinking and this spatial awareness and and drawing um, could actually be applied to every day. It could be applied to people who wanted to learn how to draw and how to see things differently. Um, So that was really that point of transition was like, how can I use what I've learnt here um, in order to, I guess springboard into that next phase of my life, but also how to how to give that back to a community. I'm, I'm really, you know, me. I love a. I'm very passionate for people and for sharing skills. You know, I, I really believe that. You know, if you have, you have something to give, then it's really important to find ways to do that to give it back. So um, yeah, that's what happened next in that in that little point of time, I guess.
0: So you came back and you studied art, and then and then yes, you came and really you did come into the community here. And for I, for one at that time was just so grateful to meet you and Joe Underhill, who you you know you, you created this incredible um, business called Urban Art Binge, and it really was. We were able to go out and every we went out twice a week to really enjoy the city and enjoy and and create and draw with you on the Saturday, and then to paint with with Joe on, on an evening during the week. It was just one of those really special times of my life and i have to thank both of you for for the gifts that you did give because you really were able to translate your skills into something that really did make a lot of difference to a lot of people i know and i've made some very good friends in that time as well who were also brought into your community so how did that feel to really be in that process of being able to to pass the love of art onto other people how did that how did that how did that work for you in terms of working with you, yourself and joe Oh, that is um, honestly one of the most rich
1: times in my life, you know, and I think that it lasted on the ground for only two or three years, but that's, you know, it still looms very, very large in my life. And I think both Joe and I at the time were really at a point where we needed each other, we needed community within art because, you know, being an artist is sometimes a bit of a solitary existence Um, And I think you need to have that time alone to be able to think and concentrate on what you're doing and focus on creativity. But there's also you need connection, you know, and I think finding connection within an arts community is not the easiest but when you do find it, it's actually one of life's most pleasurable things. Um, and, yeah, it was extraordinary, really finding and building that community that we, that we did um, and, you know, still watching it thrive from, from Scotland, you know, seeing all the people that we've, we've met and we've worked with doing their best and, and still loving drawing and painting is, is awesome. It's really awesome.
0: Absolutely. And I think what I'd say that both of you did was that you instilled, you were very giving teachers and you instilled the, there was an art to the way you taught, but you instilled confidence in those of us who were very much learner drivers that we could have a go and, and that there, there is beauty in, 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 in learning and uh, certainly, and beauty in new beginnings. And that was certainly what, what I got from that experience. So, and you're exactly right. There's also the importance of community and um how important that is to be able to be in a face-to-face and obviously we've just been through and many are still going through COVID and through lockdowns we'll we'll get to that in just a moment but the importance of community and connection around art because you're right it can be quite a solitary quite a solitary pursuit so that was what I found incredibly joyful about our experience was that you did create such a a bubbling and exciting community of people that you wanted to actually be be with um, which which was certainly part of that so so such a beautiful time and, and very rich time in my life as well. So from there, um, you know, I, I think we probably want, I probably would just want to honour Joe, our dear friend Joe, who unfortunately became, was ill during that time and and uh, unfortunately did pass away from cancer, which was such a, a difficult time. How was that for you to, to um to lose someone in that way so young in their life who was such a, a strong companion for you in that space? I
1: can say in all honesty it was awful. <laughs> it was awful. It was one of the most awful experiences of my life. Um, but it was also one of the most beautiful because Joe uh, Joe left the world in such an inspiring way, which is kind of unusual to say, but to watch her so gracefully go into the next experience you know to to recognize that she was dying and to be actually extremely generous in that experience um was a yeah I think an extremely large honor for me and at the time I found it extremely difficult and coming out of that phase of grief took much longer than I had ever or could ever anticipate. Um, But I think it's, it's one of these things where you, you proportionally grief is proportional to how much you love a person and how much they've transformed your life. So yeah, in in that respect, I'm really, I recognize that that's part of the process, you know?
0: Um, Yes. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. And, and you're exactly right. And I think you had such an incredible, you know, create it was a creative journey that worked that worked very well together. You were very complimentary to each other. But um, and you're right, she unfortunately it was her time and and um, that I agree with you, that grief is very proportionate to the to the love that we can hold for another person. So so, Vale Jo, but her work still lives on. We'll definitely put a link to her work in in the blog to this that goes with this podcast as well, because her work was very inspiring, and she was doing something interesting. That interestingly um, has some connections with with what you're doing now. But in terms of looking at the science, how look, looking at looking at science and art. But let's before we, I'd love to hear just then what happened after after joe's passing i think from there was it about that time that you left australia when when what happened from there
1: yeah so uh, my partner and i both moved to scotland um, around then and um, i guess that time is it's strange to have a period of time that is i guess circled in in this life and death and and grief grieving moment um, we left australia just at the point in time when joe was passing away so she hadn't she hadn't actually died at that stage um but uh, we we left to scotland for um, another death actually so another death in the family you, you make choices in life based upon big things um so someone had passed away in, in my my partner's life and so we moved to scotland to be here for that and so it was a really, yeah, it was an unusual time to be moving for for a deaf, but also mm. leaving with a, a dear friend at that point as well. So mm. um, strange, strange new beginnings. <laughs> but um but also wonderful, you know, these these big things make you move and they make you make decisions and shift. Um so yeah, here we are resettling in Scotland and trying to make a new community and, and also how to finding out how to redefine yourself in a new situation. Mm. And actually because I think when you have your community, your community also reflects the energy that you put out and that you build. Mm. Um, but when you don't have that external community, how do you find yourself and how do you define yourself without that reflection of the people around you is a really interesting challenge. Um, So that next period of our lives was really about that It was like, okay, we're here. And what do we do? You know, how do we rebuild? Um, But you do. It's, it's just something
0: that that happens. That's Um, right. That's, and perhaps if I can clarify to you, I remember speaking to you at the time, and and um, I think your, your decision was, was you you moved so that you could then be in connection with your partner's family, didn't you? You really yes, it was a real realization. Someone had passed in Scotland, and there is a big different, big distance between Scotland and Australia. And I think I you know it was a it was a wonderful thing that you did to be able to to go and really um, you know support her in that in that moment, and and to be to connect in with someone else's family because I know that you're very close to your own family here in Australia. So that would have been quite a big decision um, but very honouring of your partner's family as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a big decision and sometimes I look back and think, how did I make that decision so quickly? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm really glad I did. You know, these things you just you do and you follow through and it's all good. Yeah, um, yeah. so Scotland, I mean, Scotland is an extraordinary extraordinary country it's so beautiful it's Mm. just it's just so green Jen (laughs) Green, (laughs) Green. so much green
0: (laughs) so much green more green than you could ever imagine yes because I've been to the UK but I haven't been to Scotland yet so I hope one day to to come and visit you there and or if you're not already back here but but yes it is green and I just and reflecting on that comment you made earlier about you were effectively starting again here you were in a foreign country with your partner with the family but no, none of that community that you had you you know you'd really self-generated in in Australia so where did you begin how did you um what happened when you when you started there you obviously saw that it was very green and very beautiful I, and I remember seeing lots of beautiful photos that you took but how did you establish a new community and a new life for yourself there
1: yeah so um we were living in a very small country town so it was extremely green and lots of cows and um, <laughs> yeah beautiful pastures and things but um we we were really shifting the demographic within this small village that we were living in and i remember thinking look if the, i need community i need to figure it out i need to bring it here um and they had a little town hall actually and i, I thought well I've got options here because life drawing is something that I need in my life. You know, I've, I've life drawing is a key component to my, my practice and, you know, going from doing that every week in Brisbane to absolutely nothing and being in a country town, um, I could either drive to the city uh, of Dundee, you know, um, every week and do that, but that was quite a distance and also... Um, Yeah, quite resource heavy when you think. Um, So I put a little call out on Twitter, actually. It was a bit of a wild decision, but I thought, let's give this a go, you know, and just to see whether there were any life models around the area and if they would be interested. Um, And, yeah, I asked if I could hire the little village hall for for a life drawing class. And all of a sudden, there were one life model and then two life models. And then all of a sudden, they knew each other. It was actually quite a large community. And they started coming to me. So we had this beautiful thing going on in this small country town village hall of a life drawing session. Um, And it was just quite a wonderful experience, because not only do you have the life models coming, but then you have the artists coming. So from nothing every tuesday night started to come this extraordinary community of people who love to draw and we're just really grateful that there was something there in the in the country um to do so i guess that was the, the beginning
0: wow and em here you are again building community around art so how incredible. And, yes, instead of people having to drive to the city, which is typically where you would find these things, to have it happen in your own country town. I mean, I come from a country town here in Australia and I know you do too, and, and it's lovely to actually have something happening locally rather than having to go to the big city. So people would have just loved that. So did you do, you know, tea and coffee and, and you know, supper as well as so it became did it become a real community event?
1: Absolutely. So every Tuesday night, it was a couple of hours with a, you know, breaks in between with tea and coffee. And so it, it's always, as you know, you know, these groups are much more than just the drawing. Mm-hmm. They're getting together, supporting each other, and learning about what's happening in each other's lives. And um, that I think becomes more important than the drawing. The drawing is, or the the art, whatever it is, is the the reason to gather. Um, but yeah. The community and the support, and and just the chat, you know, just the the silly chat is actually sometimes what is most important in people's people's experience of these these moments.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I I, I completely agree. And and the yes, you're right. The art the art's the drawing point, but it's it's everything that happens in between uh, and around that that is just such a joy. So. That's 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 really wonderful. And did you introduce chai to, or was chai already a thing in your local country town? Was that part of the the Tuesday night event?
1: The chai tea, chai tea, chai, to, Well, to be fair, I'm much more of a builder's tea kind of gal, you know. Oh. So it was a bit, a bit like, <laughs> a bit like rough and ready, you know. If you want your chai, you're gonna have to bring that yourself. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, but maybe it was Joe who brought the chai. Maybe
0: it was Joe. I know I'm a big chai yeah. drinker, but chai, yeah, no, but go the builders tea. I'm sure that would have gone yeah. down very well as well. Well, that's that's such a great thing. And so, and then what happened then? So you you so that's so here you are. You are starting to you the, the Aussie girl landing in in the country town in Scotland. You have you you've said right. I'm going to build community, and and lo and behold, build it, and they will come. Everyone came. So so what happened from there?
1: So from there I started, um, I was at the university in Dundee. So I was studying art at the time there. And, um, yeah, so those two things were happening side by side, starting to, to meet people and, um, yeah, just do, do my thing, starting to feel like I've got my feet on the ground at this point. Um, and from there I, I actually I had this most special job I, um, I started working with um, an artist as his assistant, as his art assistant, but also life assistant. Um, Dawson Murray is a printmaker. And Dawson Dawson and his wife Liz, I think, were probably my, how would you say, you know, when you meet people and you're, at, you're looking for community, you're looking for family, you know, I was working for them, but I think at the same time they were really introducing me to Scotland you know so I worked with them four days a week and the reason why Dawson needed an assistant is actually he has MS quite advanced MS and yeah he's an incredible printmaker um, but essentially needed somebody to help him make his prints so it was an extraordinary experience of of almost being his hands and and I I can't yeah, it's one of these experiences that I'm going to have to take my lifetime to digest, I think. Um, but I worked with Dawson and Liz for a year and we, yeah, we spent time between his studio and his garden and the, the print workshop in Dundee. And that time was incredible because it was like four days a week of really, really intense observation and focus because Dawson's work is very much about looking at nature and looking at how do things grow and what's the what's what what is nature doing, you know, but in in such an intense, slow way, um, that it's, it's almost painful to be honest, Jen, but but extraordinary. And I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who is who was and is such a keen observer in On the same level as me, I, I love observation. That's just—it's one of my superpowers, being an observer. But but working with Dawson was like, wow, okay, so this guy he knows how to see, you know, and um yeah, so that was that next period of of my of my journey, I guess, is just learning learning how to be still and learning how to look and be really appreciative of of nature in, in a super slow way with Dawson.
0: Wow, I mean, and, and fancy being someone's hands. I mean, it's such a privilege to have that role. But and you're right, you're right in the position of learning. But it, how did it feel to? How did it feel to be? Uh, I guess executing his art. Did you feel? Did you feel like you were you were on his wavelength, and so, could understand what he wanted? Did that take a period of time, or did you just sort of click in and really knew what he wanted?
1: It took a period of time of adjustment uh, because as an artist, you have your own marks, you know, your hands do what they do, right? And yeah. you, I guess I had to become really conscious of are my hands making marks for me or they, are they making marks for Dawson? And that was the shift of, okay, I'm in his studio now, I'm making marks for him, so I'm not allowing my hand to wander in a way that it would Um and he Dawson is very good at communicating. So he would he would pick me up. He'd say, "No, like that line's doing something funny over there," and and I could see by doing something funny meant, you know, you're you're making an Emily mark there. It's not mine. Um, and so yeah, I think it is about being really humble and and recognizing that actually, yeah, I'm working for another artist here. I have to focus my hands a bit more. Um, but that was a beautiful thing. You know, it was really, really quite extraordinary.
0: And you've used a great word the humble humility. I mean, that's, that's. I mean, the ego does have to step aside, doesn't it? Because even if you think that it might look better if the line was a little wibbly-wobbly over there, but he wanted it a certain way, it needed to be his way. So that would have been a really, just a really interesting study in, in how to leave the ego at the door, which I'm, I know you would have done that very, very, very well. What... What else did you learn from that time with him? How did it inform perhaps your own art practice?
1: It informed my own art practice in so many different ways, but specifically about returning to nature. Mm. I'm, I am very and always have been really enthusiastic in nature. I love, I love the landscape so much and, and just being really open in it and to it that at that point was really it was what I needed but it was also it was Dawson's way um and I I had this one really clear moment of us being at his pond you know he really loved to sit at his pond every single day so I would bring him to his pond and we just sit there and you know that time also was about really becoming very comfortable with silence you know we would chat and 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 all of that but actually a lot of the time we needed to just sit and observe and and I'd wait, you know, I'd wait for him to to kind of bring up what he needed to bring up. But he had this plant and it was an oleander, which is, I, I think he brought it back from France. He had this really like beautiful connection with France and, and Italy. And he had this oleander that had never flowered, never, ever, because it was like more of a, a, hot, yeah, a hot climate day. plant, right? So anyway, he would have me bring this oleander from the um, the greenhouse to the pond almost daily for, for this one period of summer. And it was quite heavy. It was like this large, large pot, right? Anyway, so we're sitting at the pond watching the Oleander and he's, he's just saying to me, do you think it's grown a bit? <laughs> <laughs> like, trying not to laugh, but like, ah, maybe, but I'm not quite sure. I wasn't totally convinced, right? Anyway, so this was this conversation, this dialogue at the pond for the, for this one summer of like, questioning whether or not this oleander had grown a little bit and whether or not you know it was going to flower anyway one day I arrived and lo and behold the oleander was beginning to flower and I just thought mate you are extraordinary look at you just like you know that real sheer determination positivity and just belief that this plant was going to flower, you know, and the patience required to observe it in such a, a painfully beautiful way. And I have this one I, I drew him because I said, you know, Dawson, look, this is a, I feel like this is a momentous moment <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be captured of you and your oleander. So I have I've made this beautiful portrait of Dawson and his oleander flowered. Um, but just that, that, that moment really sums up that experience for me of working with Dawson of just this real sheer optimism and hope and just robust resilience in nature, you know, just Mm -hmm. this belief that actually you wait long enough and you watch it slow enough and often enough, then things will grow.
0: And you intend for it. It sounds like he had a very strong intention for that Oleander as well. Like he was really intending that it was going to flower. Probably he's got the only flowering oleander in Scotland. I'd say <laughs> they definitely love a hot climate, don't they? Rather, than they that do. Climate. They do. And that sounds like it was just an incredible experience. In very meditative. I mean, he, you know, if you think about the the Buddhist way, the 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 notion of just awareness and sitting, and just being with nature. That's certainly. Wow, what, what, what—an inspiration for you and your art practice. And so, do you? How has it? Do you spend more time observing now before you start drawing, or how's that? How's that affected you?
1: Uh, I do. I think. I I think I value that more. I think I value that that skill in art much more um, than I ever did. I think meeting him really was like, okay, this is this is something special that we share actually and I mean I know a lot of artists do observe but also also not as much as I, I I thought you know I think it is a really it's an important skill to actually focus your attention and to be really really uh as a practice as a daily practice to be an observer
0: yep.
1: is um is quite special
0: yeah, it really is. He sounds like he was a grandmaster of observation in art. So uh, you had a very good totally. relationship there. And you mentioned um, you mentioned your love of the landscape. Something else happened around this time, I think, as well about you and landscapes. Is, is there something you'd like to share with us in that space?
1: Uh, yeah, I, th- I think you're talking about the landscape artist of the year. Uh-huh. Yeah, so um, yeah, it was after Dawson, actually. Yeah, I, I kind of after that intense period of being really focused and very slow and meditative, I was a bit like a rubber band, you know, and I, unfortunately I I left those guys in the best way I possibly could, but I needed to go and just spring out a bit more um, and to be in the landscape and to just, yeah, use my legs a bit (laughs) and just to run around. Um, And so I was starting to just put feelers out into the world and apply for this, that, and the other. And I saw, the landscape artist of the year competition come up was a sky arts thing and I just thought well why not give it a go so I, yeah I applied for that and um it was an incredible experience
0: because that wasn't can you share a little bit about that um with us I, I think you remember a couple of stories you told me but I think it's quite intense isn't it you've got to go and paint in a certain period of time and you're being observed yes yeah, so like
1: yeah, no, it was a very, uh, it was it was weird. <laughs> so we had to go, um, the the uh, part of the competition that I was in was in uh, Rasili Bay in, in Wales. So it was a great opportunity just to, to drive to Wales and, yeah, as you said, had to be there on a specific day. And we were given one day to make a painting um, and each of us at our little stations facing the view and... Um, and yeah, it was like being in a fishbowl. Really, you had cameras on you at all stages, and people coming to ask you questions and interview you on what you were thinking about and what media you're using, etc. And yeah, it was it was it was interesting.
0: Mm. It was good how did, fun. How did that feel to be sort of under observation? Because I mean, because as we've said earlier, you know, creating art can be quite a solitary experience. You're, yeah, and particularly in landscape, you're out there just enjoying nature and you know, allowing inspiration to come to you, how did it feel to be in that sort of fishbowl environment? It was
1: fun to do as the experience, but awful, (laughs) if I'm really honest. It's like how can you concentrate when you've got people breathing down your neck a little bit? That's how it felt. Um, And I guess in a sense too when you're, say, for example, we've spoken about arts community before and, and teaching, that's a bit similar in the sense that if you're you're giving a demonstration or you're showing something or you're sharing your work. That's one thing, um, one form of being observed. But, yeah, this felt very different. And it, I think because, too, on a television show, you've got time pressures and mm. you've also got the way that things need to be produced. Um, so it just felt a little bit like you were being maybe, I guess you're part of a story that's already been scripted in a sense, yep. So, which, which didn't feel entirely like my way, but at the same time it was a really, it was a fun thing to do and great to meet other artists and, yeah, Absolutely. an
0: experiment. Well, it is another experiment and, as you said, it's, it's experiencing art from another perspective and, yes, it's, it's interesting. So what happened after that? Was that when you started moving into your, what you're doing now or is there some other things in between?
1: Yeah, no, I guess um, that is the point, you know, as I said, when I, I really needed to spring out a little bit and to figure out what it was um, that I needed to do next and, and finding this passion for, for nature and the landscape. And I, as I said, I was applying for this, that and everything. And I discovered this amazing residency, which was with the Museum of Loss and Renewal. And the Museum of Loss and Renewal is based in Colomacchia, in Italy. And you know, Dawson had really instilled this passion of Italy with me. You know, we'd constantly talk about his love for love for Italy and my love for France, and and yeah, the Museum of Loss and Renewal really just hit a chord within me. And you know, at that point, I was still, um, I think, still grieving for Joe, as we've mentioned before. This had gone on for quite a long time. Just this sense of you know, um, just being really aware of the loss of of my dear friend and how that kind of hole was still being carved out in my life. And I needed to find a way to release that. Um, And so, yeah, I did. I went and and did a a two week residency in Italy where I was essentially alone uh, for most of that time in the middle of, I don't want to say nowhere, but a very, very remote Italian town, very small, beautiful town um where I had the option to be alone you know there was a town that I could go into but otherwise I could just really roam the mountains myself for two weeks and um yeah being held by this extraordinary residency team um and yeah I went and did that and just I think the slowness of not talking to anyone for two weeks and just communing with nature and being able to roam like that was um was remarkable. It was actually remarkable. And, yeah.
0: And what was the purpose of that residency? So the Museum of Loss and Renewal, is that a, is, with regard to grief and death and the passing of, of people? was. And what was the purpose of the residency? Was it for you to sort of use your art to explore that as a theme?
1: Really the, the framework of the, Mu- the Museum of Loss and Renewal is really about it is, it's completely open, but once again, it's actually quite a strong foundation. And I think, you know, just the the fact that these things are able to be brought up, mm. themes of life and death mm. and, and growth and loss and um, being within this extraordinary landscape, which is actually so rich, um, the, the purpose of it really was to use the time however I wished, Wow. to to build my practice so there wasn't any um guidelines around what I had to produce there wasn't any any kind of formal format in, t- in terms of that residency but it was really about time to sift through my own artistic
0: practice wow um, yeah wow. what a, what a gift and and it's I just find it fascinating that there is a museum dedicated to loss renewal because grief is not something that we do talk about a lot um in our community until it happens to us um, and you know, as you would know i recently lost my dad and i've done I've had a, done a podcast episode about that but it's it's not something that people talk about it's sort of once we've had the period of the person's past there's the official mourning period we put some you know put some rabbit ears around that or quote marks around that and then life's meant to go on but as you said your experience of of losing your dear friend joe there was a grief there that was still there that needed to be looked at and worked through. So what a gift that, um, that you were able to go on that residency. I just think it's, it's just incredibly powerful. It's just what what a great gift. It was
1: awesome. It was totally awesome. And that balance of needing to grieve actively, but also needing to be within the landscape, I think was a a super powerful combo Um, and at that point it was really having that close attention to nature, building from this experience with Dawson and realizing that actually what I'm so passionate about is is looking at things extremely closely. And the body for me is everything Jenna always has been even with architecture it's like why do we have buildings? We have buildings because we have people and actually the people element of things is really what what inspires me and how do you how do you know more about your body? And those kind of large questions of getting inside and trying to figure out how things work and, and trying to see things that we don't normally see um, and see differently,
0: mm. uh,
1: I guess, really has kind of pushed me in the direction of, of, well, actually, if you're wanting to get inside the body, then it's, it's actually it's science. Mm. Science enables you to see in a way that we don't generally see.
0: It really does. and It's such an interesting journey that you've been on and it's almost from the outside to the inside you know the nature then going inside with that residency and now as you say that's this whole starting to look at, at things through the lens of science as well as art. So exactly how are you doing that? What What happened next? So
1: what happened next is I got home from Italy and basically was just obsessed with just this landscape right because I'd been In it for two weeks, drawing like an actual demon. I have so many drawings from this one town and this, you know, the mountains surrounding it. But I just, I, I just was like, what's next? I need to somehow use this experience because as we've mentioned beforehand, you know, when you have such a powerful gift like that, it's like, you know, okay, you don't just sit on it, you know, how do I figure out how to use that and utilize that in this next phase and and at the time, you know, this desire to scratch closer and to get inside something, I didn't know what it was. But um, I on this residency, I had found, um, I'd found these most beautiful, what I thought were cabbages. They were red and they, they looked like cabbages, right? So I thought they were. I thought they were the most beautiful cabbages on the planet and they looked like brains. So I went to the local shop. And I bought all of them (laughs) and they thought I was very unusual and said, (laughs) you know, this woman, she's bless her heart. She said, are you local? (laughs) And I was like, clearly I'm not local. No, but I am here for the residency down the road. And she was like, I see. It was like, now I know why you're buying all of these cabbages. So um, that's what I used as my material on this art residency with these cabbages that looked like brains they turned out to be ridiculous. so there weren't cabbages at all. And anyway, I, I just you know I just kept dreaming of these cabbages, right, and I thought, well, okay, I'm wanting to get inside the body, something to do with brains, cabbages. So I sent an email to the, um, there was a, a centre for a group that were working with neuroscience and art in Edinburgh. So it was already established. I thought, brains, art, brilliant, that, that's, that's where I'll start. So I knocked on their door, sent an email and just said, look, I'm really interested in the brain. I'm quite curious about, you know, somehow exploring that with art and um, I wondered whether you would be open to a micro-residency, some some form of me interacting with what you do. And the woman, bless her, she was very open and said, okay, neuroscience, excellent, art, wonderful. It's quite a large field. Do you have any idea where you want to go within that and I was like well I'm pretty open but in, if it gives you any indication of you know what I'm I've been doing I've been working with Dawson Murray who you know he's he's got MS I'm really interested in maybe going down that direction or you know I've also been working at the Museum of Blossom Renewal for the past little bit she was like hmm blossom renewal sounds a bit like stem cells how's that and I was like great sounds excellent so she put me in touch with the um, the center for regenerative medicine which look at at yeah exactly that stem cells regenerative medicine and robin at the center for regenerative medicine also bless him was very open to a conversation with me so we met at the center and he took me for a wander around and spoke about all of what they do and yeah from there we just we just kind of went and he paired me up with a scientist Dr. Elaine Emerson, who is also very enthusiastic and a wonderful woman, and said, "Look, I think you, you two should meet because maybe you get along quite well, and we can figure it out from there." Um, so, yeah, I started working in Elaine's lab from there, and I mean, quite extraordinary. But once again, it's just this this process of being very open and allowing possibility to happen. You know, none of us knew what was going to happen here, but radicchio's in Italy to regenerative medicine in Edinburgh seems like a very logical path to me and some (laughs) other people seem to agree so it's fantastic oh
0: my gosh and and wow and you've so you've completely you've created your own path here I mean what there's so much to your story in terms of being open to the possibilities, allowing your inspiration to guide you. I mean, you're ridiculous in Italy to Edinburgh and brain and neuroscience. I mean, what a fantastic jump, but this is you, you truly do seem to just allow the inspiration to come and then You've got the, you know, you've got the. You back yourself. You've got the confidence in yourself to go and make those phone calls and to to write those emails. Does it just feel natural to you, or do you have any, you know, nervousness around that, or do you just think, no, this is I'm clear. This I'd just like to to try see what this, what this, where this might lead to.
1: I think it's a good balance of both. I have a lot of, um, uh, I guess, belief like the Oleander, watching it and thinking, okay, something can happen here but also, I mean, Elaine and I have known each other for a couple of years now, and we've looked at her research into uh, xerostomia and dry mouth around head and neck cancer. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've looked back and kind of gone, well, you know, I've said to her, (laughs) there was a moment before meeting her where I was looking at her bio online at the Center for Regenerative Medicine and and just almost feeling like I needed to cry because I was like, how am I going to connect with this woman? She's just so clever. And I have no idea what what she's talking about here, what am I doing, you know? So it's a balance of, of once again, that humility of going, okay, look, we speak different languages and how am I supposed to become a scientist in a day and that's not even my goal. Mm. It's just being really aware that actually I'm, I'm an artist, you're a scientist, maybe we could meet somewhere in a middle ground that allows us to have a conversation and... Mm. Um, yeah, I guess just being really present to the hard stuff in that as well. It's like this is not an easy thing to do, but that's okay. That's why it makes it really exciting because you have to try a different route in order to connect. Um,
0: Absolutely, and you really are—you really are at the, at the cutting edge, if you like. You, what you're both creating together is actually quite a. You're at the cutting edge of, you know, the edge of the envelope, really, aren't you? And, and you're, you're you're pushing the edge in terms of artistic practice, but also her as a scientist to have an artist. In her lab, I mean, what does that look like? Just for those of us, what is it? What does a day in your lives together look like? How, do, how does it work?
1: Well, it's uh, it, it's very different at the moment because of as you know, COVID is um, is is present. Um, and when COVID happened, actually, Elaine and I have put down this project just for the moment. But at the time when we were working together, it was really she allowed me into her lab had given me access uh, to her team there's a a, an incredible young team that she she has um, working working for her and really what what we do is actually I'd come in when I was available and I would just observe in the lab and ask questions and you know every now and again knock on her office door and say look I've discovered this unusual thing what's this or what does this word mean and and how do we you know how do we do this and What we generated actually was a way to connect her lab with the outside. So with head and neck cancer, right, she's in the lab exploring dry mouth. It's a symptom, a long-term life-changing symptom of head and neck cancer for patients that have had radiotherapy treatment because in a regenerative sense, the salivary glands are something that are destroyed. They don't grow back. They're very delicate. And if they've been... Uh, affected by radiotherapy, um, then, uh, yeah, essentially a patient is left with dry mouth, um, which is not something that people talk about very often. Actually, head and neck cancer is quite a ghastly experience for patients. And really what I was quite curious about is how do we connect that patient experience with what she's doing in the lab at very, very, very close scale um, and is there something that can happen within that translation between the patient experience and what she's doing with her research? So in order to do that, we were like, okay, who do you have on the outside that's doing the other things like who is in the pathology lab, who is in the surgery, who is in that space of radiotherapy and what are they doing? Um, And, Really, that's what we did. We, we reached out to those other people, just like, you know, with those strange emails going, okay, well, we may be wanting to do something in the realm of art, you know, are you interested? And, and everyone said yes, you know, and I think both of us were quite surprised when people were really wanting to get on board with this and, and maybe do something. Um, so that's how it worked. It was then me in her lab but also me going out to these satellite experiences of the day-to-day patient experience of head and neck cancer and, and looking at what that looked like and making drawings and then essentially reporting back, reporting back to each other with with different drawings and, um, yeah, I guess connecting
0: that experience. Wow. And there you are again, Emily, making another community, connecting people that perhaps would never have connected, you know, particularly, you know, those those cancer patients who might not really know what's going on in the lab, or who's who are the people who are actually vitally interested in helping them, and you're making those connections. How how powerful is that? Have what sort of feedback have you had? On, on, you said the project had, did have to be set aside um, due to COVID. Have you had any specific feedback around that, or how people were feeling about it before it was set aside?
1: It um, it has been a really extraordinary experience for for everyone. I think. Um, and the the point at which it was set aside was the point in which we were hoping to really reach out to a lot of patients. So that's uh, it's unfortunate we didn't really get to do that. However, there were a couple of patients that I was able to speak to after observing their surgeries, and that was extraordinary because um, just being able to report back and to show them what things looked like. And there was one patient who I'd asked if I could follow her journey, and you know, that journey is not just her own journey. It's, it's also the journey of the organ. So what we're looking at is, okay, you've, you've just had surgery and you've had your salivary gland removed, but where does that go? What's What do we see next? And that salivary gland isn't just then put into the bin. It's actually got an important job of reporting to the pathologist and showing them what's going on in your body. So me being able to actually see that experience, we've mapped that actual organ from the surgery into the pathology lab and uh, showing her those drawings of, well, this is what your organ looks like in that space and this is what it's telling the pathologist, uh, I mean, was amazing. It was amazing. totally amazing.
0: So can I just need to clarify right now. You're in the yeah. operating theatre watching the operation, is that right?
1: Yes, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, observing and drawing. That was, I think, yeah, life-changing, Jen, life-changing.
0: Unbelievable. So did you literally have to scrub up, do the whole Scrub yeah. up? Wow. That's incredible, yeah. Em.
1: It was awesome. That it was is- really a very, just such a privileged environment to be in and a hugely vulnerable space to be in, but also just really, yeah, amazing.
0: Amazing. And so what did that patient, I mean, and, and then for you to not only have documented what the patient experienced, but then her salivary gland, what, what was her response? What did she say when, she, when you showed her these drawings? She was
1: really... I mean, very to watch someone observe their organ in a, in a drawing space that was her and her um, family members that were in this room um, at the follow up clinic. And she, you know, I just said to her, I'm, I really, you were the first surgery that I've ever watched. You know, it's such a privilege. Thank you so much. And she was just like, oh, I'm really happy to be your star patient. She was really just overjoyed. And I mean, not every patient is going to want to have an artist observing that experience but um, this specific person is incredible and they were really open to the whole thing um and wonderful in asking questions and what does this mean and what does that mean and I guess that's given you a whole other experience of of your care
0: Mm, absolutely a huge insight into care that people wouldn't normally have I mean it's you're taking the clinical and making it incredibly personal Um, and Really tailored to that person's experience, helping them see their experience in a different way. Wow, that's incredible. So, will you continue on that work once the the, the COVID situation has settled down a bit more? I very much hope so. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And you're absolutely. also this time you've been studying your Master of Science in Medical Art. So, this is an interesting uh, thing as well. Could you briefly just what what what's a Master of Science in Medical Art? Does this what does it mean? Where does it take
1: me? Good question. So it's a, a program that's happening in Dundee and really it's, I guess, a more formalized version of what I've been doing, you know, with the center for regenerative medicine is in like closely focusing on the study of anatomy. So learning, learning about the body and all of the body systems and um, having that incredible resource of working with the, um, the section room. In Dundee, so studying from cadavers and having the experience of being able to dissect and look at the body as it is, um, and also looking at prosections, so um, prepared sections of the body, Um, so you're really you're really learning from the thing itself rather than from just textbooks and. Um, other resources mm. so it's really it's a mixture of of that science and that scientific investigation but as well how to transform that into into artworks because if you imagine how how does a, a a clinician become a clinician well they have to learn they have to see the body they have to study it and those images don't just come from nowhere actually you know they come from a person who's trained to do that who's mm. studied the body and knows how to draw it and communicate it so medical art yeah it's really it's that study of, of science and art at the same time and communication.
0: Wow. It's just incredible. And we said at the head of the interview, you know, you're, you know, you're really studying, you're looking at these life cycles of living things, you know, you're looking at the experience of being in a human container and this idea of going deep inside life to then find new ways of observing. What sort of things is studying the body at this level? What, what, what things have you learned so far?
1: I've learned so much. I've learned so much, but it's really uh, I, what I'm learning is that, that passion that I have for structure and knowing and wanting to know how things work and how they connect is extraordinary. So learning about the actual material of the body, you know, what does it feel like? What, what connects to what? And how do these systems work? Um, that's really what I'm learning and how to pull apart one system at a time and study that independently, but also how does it relate to other things? It's um, That's really what I'm learning. And what I'm learning too is that in a strange way I'm looping back. You know, it, this is architecture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's spatial awareness. It's dynamics. It's physics. It's how do you actually put together all these systems that make you a human being and, and we function without even thinking about it. But the body is just wonderful. Yeah.
0: Wow. And you, through your work, you're really allowing us to sort of see it in a, in a very different way. So I just congratulations to you. And what, I mean, what a, you've crafted this journey of your life as an artist. It's a, it's a very, I mean, the life of every artist is, 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 you know, personal to them, but this is a really fascinating journey in terms of um, crafting your, your artistic journey. How does it feel now? I mean, you, there's still you've got many many years to go in life but if you look back now from when you you made the decision to move from architecture into pursuing art and you've been doing it now you know in a full-time way for many many years how does it how does it how do you feel about that journey so far
1: look I'm really grateful <laughs> you know and I look back and I just think yeah I I have had so many wonderful experiences and yeah, I'm, I think I'm just extraordinarily grateful for everyone that I've met along the way and who's been open to saying yes to crazy ideas and being able to go along with things. And, you know, least of all, Ali, my partner, who's absolutely wonderfully supportive and, um, yeah, it's 100% along for the ride. Mm. I just think um, it's a lion's share of amazing experiences. I'm really, I'm very aware of that.
0: Yeah, I think you've and you've but you've crafted them. I think through your choices and through the courageous decision to say, "Okay, I've done architecture, but I want I need to really pursue this artistic passion." You stepped in. It was a courageous thing to do. Some might have said, "You know, you've got the degree. Stick with that." But it sounds like it was clearly was a calling and how you've almost, as you said, have almost looped back now, you're looking at the architecture of the body and that, uh, that architecture degree will undoubtedly be helping you with what you're doing now. So, so exciting, Em, and you know, you're only part way through. Um, any, any things on, the, are you, anything's on the horizon, you, anything that you're focusing on next or are you still completely immersed in, in what you're doing right now?
1: pretty immersed but I have to say you know I'm also really grateful for this experience that I'm having at the moment of I'm doing an online residency with the Welcome Centre for Anti-Infectives Research so that's been alongside my studies Um, and yeah that's also been a a huge focus of of constantly engaging with scientists throughout the process of of COVID times um, and in a different way not having the same on the ground lab experience that I've had with Elaine and the Emerson lab but Having this this other experience of how do you connect with scientists and research in this space in in just this conversational virtual space um, and building relationships in that way and finding finding ways to to build trust in sharing one's research as well. Um, mm. So yeah, that's been a huge part of my focus as well as this this course is learning about drug discovery and learning about infectious diseases and parasites and and how to share my artistic practice in that realm as well with scientists and, um, yeah, extraordinary.
0: Oh, it sounds extraordinary. And infectious diseases, so dare I ask, are you looking, are you working in the coronavirus space or is it...?
1: I believe that some of the scientists are working in that space, but it's not something that I'm, I'm looking at with them. Um, I'm really just exploring what kind of things are they doing in, in general? So, I mean, the, a lot of the, their work is looking at diseases such as malaria, um, visceral leishmaniasis, parasite-related uh, diseases, and, yeah, learning about what kind of processes they go through in, in their research.
0: Wow. And again, all big diseases that need to be dealt with. So um, so great that you can be working with them. And I'm assuming you're helping again interpret what they're doing for people to understand at a different level. Is that sort of the the purpose of your fellowship there, your residency there? Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. It's it's how do you start to be able to translate that or explore it in a way that makes it a bit more open to, to people because otherwise science can seem like such a... Um, it can be a bit opaque perhaps Mm. it it can seem like how do you step through that door? Yeah. Mm. Um, Whereas actually, you know, that element of it being clinical is necessary, but it's, it's, once again, it's about people. Yep. Yeah. You don't have science without the need to, to look at the fact that it's a disease that's affecting a person, a population, a group of people. And um, I think with infectious diseases, especially it's, it's, you know, A lot of these are classed as uh, neglected tropical diseases and they're classed as neglected because they're not diseases that people focus on. They're Mm. not diseases that are affecting um, a lot of the Western world. Mm. So unfortunately, they're affecting countries and populations that are less fortunate than others um, and therefore classed as neglected. So uh, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful team that I'm working with and they're all extremely passionate about what they do.
0: Wow, and how and how wonderful that you can help them interpret what's going on and and raise awareness. Because you're right; those these these diseases you're talking about do affect a lot of people, just don't happen to be in the West. So that's that's really wonderful. Emma, I've got a couple more questions before we close. Um, the the next question I'd like to ask is, you know, if there's someone out there listening to this podcast right now who's thinking that they'd like to pursue an artistic career or or to to start actually stepping into their inner artist? What what advice would you give them? What would you what would you suggest to them? I mean you are such a um you're such a beacon of, of courage and and action taking in this space. What would you what would you suggest to to someone who is thinking, oh, I'd like to to pursue my art more seriously than I am right now? I wish I had a really clear
1: answer to give you there, but I think being open to the fact that learning is a beautiful thing in order to learn, you have to take risk. Um, But I think art is one of these areas, which it's very safe risk, but it's also a vulnerable place to be. So I think really recognizing that the vulnerability around art is, is okay. And it's there for everybody. Um, And yeah, not letting that stop you, but leaning into that that potentially uncomfortable space is a really valuable, um, valuable experience.
0: Mm. So and I, 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 such beautiful words. And and how have you leaned in? How have you leaned into that vulnerability? What what does that look like for you, particularly when you're just starting out? I
1: think it's really hard to own your creativity mm. that happens through a process of building resilience and um i guess practice in that way and not recognizing that you know you need to get to the end or some kind of finished product or some kind of finished version of you. calling yourself an artist i think everyone is an artist you just are it you know some artists will say to me they'll <laughs> why are you telling people that that's just not true but it, it I really believe that in the core of myself is that every single person is an artist, but it is muscular. Creativity is muscular.
0: Mm.
1: You know, it's not like something you go and just totally run a marathon successfully in a day. You need to go and you need to get out and you need to walk and then you need to run and then you just build up that muscle slowly. And creativity is the same. It's a muscular activity that you work on.
0: Mm.
1: So it's having that realization that, That's actually what you need to do is you need to just be, once again, this word humility and humbleness of going out and just just building up that muscle slowly and not expecting too much of yourself um, in a creative space. And I think that's what I have to remind myself of daily, but also, you know, if you're talking about the beginning, this is, you know, we're starting from the beginning, but every artist has to start from the beginning every day. We have to recognise what level of muscular fitness are we at? Is our creativity in flow? um and it quite often isn't you know you have to be realistic and um i quite often find myself feeling a little bit blocked and i have to recognize well i'm i'm just not in that flow i need to go and somehow do it you know and that might just be doing something small every day and you just build up that flow um that would probably be my suggestion
0: I think it's a beautiful suggestion and I I think what you're sharing there, remember, remembering some words you shared with me many years ago and you're right, it is this, it is, and it is about starting somewhere. I think the Buddha said the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step and until we put, you know, take that first step, we can't, we, we, we can't progress. So, and I, I love what you've said about just getting in the flow and doing something little every day and, you know flexing the muscle you know exercising the muscle as we would in, in any other pursuit it's it's just that and it's that consistently backing yourself as well isn't it and just just being there for yourself
1: absolutely yeah and and not uh, yeah not expecting that that validation comes from others you yeah. know and i guess i mean we have we have mentors and we have teachers in that kind of way that they help us to see that from within but that's that's the idea is that you're 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 building up that way of being your own mentor and being your own champion and allowing yourself to celebrate um, celebrate the wins, you know.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I love it. And then we've talked about your art. Um, where can people go to connect with you more and to see some of this incredible art that you've that you've done? What, what's the best place for us to visit?
1: Uh, you can visit my website. Mm-hmm. So you can find that at emilyfongstudio.com. Um, and otherwise, on social media, likewise, I'm Emily Fong Studio, so you can find me
0: Absolutely. there. Fantastic. Well, we'll definitely put links to or to your your beautiful website and your social media into the blog that goes with this podcast, so that people can can uh, look at the work that you've been doing. And we'll put links to also um, um, Dawson Murray and Joe Underhill's work as well, because we have a couple of great artists that we want to we want to honor. So. Um, em, I just want to say thank you so much for your time with us today. It's just been such a, a joy to really dig deep into your artistic journey and to really see how you have created your path and you have backed yourself and you've followed your inspiration. I think that's what's so inspiring for me is that it's that continually committing to yourself and committing to your art and, um, and really work, you know, living your calling which is just so inspiring so thank you so much for your time we really appreciate it thank you such a pleasure we'll talk soon thank you for joining me on this episode of your freedom unlimited if you like this show please share it with a friend and if you haven't already subscribe rate and review your freedom unlimited on your favorite podcast player If you have any questions, comments or feedback, you can reach me directly at jenramsey.com. Thanks for listening.